Grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to St. Matthew as recorded in chapter 1 verses 20 through 23. But as he was considering these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, throughout these three midweek Advent sermons, we have asked the question, to whom does Jesus come? And the first answer we got was when God broke nearly 500 years of silence since the prophet Malachi had spoken and sent his angel Gabriel to tell Zechariah, you're going to give birth to the Lord's forerunner, basically who Malachi had prophesied about. But Zechariah, seeing an angel, didn't think that was good enough. He doubted. And so we see that the Lord comes to those who doubt with proof. And of course, the proof he gave Zechariah was a rebuke as well. You won't be able to talk until the child is born. And then we wait six more months. And the same angel is sent to Mary. And he tells her the good news that she would give birth to the Savior. But there was a lot of things Mary would have to worry about. A lot of things she would have to wait for. What's going to happen when Joseph finds out? What's going to happen? How is this child going to save if she knew some of the prophecies? What's this about being abandoned by God? She would have to wait. And so we saw that the Lord comes with comfort to those who wait. Now we find out how Joseph reacted when he found out. Joseph knew there's only one thing you do that makes babies. And he knew he hadn't done that with Mary. And so he knew... She had to have cheated on him. Now, we know that that's not the case. But Joseph, a Christian man, truly, he plotted to quietly divorce her. And that's where our text begins. And we ask the question, to whom does Jesus come? And we see he comes with enlightenment to those who don't understand. Joseph had misunderstood. Because this is the only time in history in which a baby was conceived without the act that conceives a baby that happens all the other births ever in history. And so we're told, but as he was considering these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the term, the angel of the Lord, Hebrew, Malach Adonai, can mean a man who God sends. But when they show up talking in dreams, that's no human being. That knocks it down to something supernatural. It's either an angel, and it may be the same angel, the angel Gabriel, but lots of times in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord actually is the pre-incarnate Christ talking, the Malach Adonai. Usually you can tell that because he accepts worship. An angel will say, don't worship me. We really don't know here, but whether it's an angel or whether it's God himself talking in the dream, he came with enlightenment. You think there's been a sin involved, and that's actually good logic, right? But you're wrong. 
Mary's virginity is intact and don't be afraid to take her as your wife. There's no sin. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, as an application to this, God comes and enlightens Joseph about what is and isn't sin. But do you ever think about how often Christians have condemned people for sinning when the Christian themselves was wrong? That what they were condemning was not a sin? How often does our conscience trouble us and sometimes we find out our conscience was mistaken? It certainly happened, for example, among the Gentiles who thought they couldn't eat meat that they'd bought from the butcher because part of that animal had been sacrificed to a false god. And Paul addresses that, for example, in the letter to the Corinthians or uh, in the epistle to the Romans. Sometimes we think things are sin that aren't. And other times we think things aren't sin that are. But let me give you just three examples. Why did Joseph want to divorce his fiancée? Because he thought she had done a sin against him and God and violated the marriage bed. But brothers and sisters in Christ, in the medieval ages, this false teaching came along that the only reason why a couple can enjoy intercourse is if they're going to procreate, have children. And so many people to this day think that's the teaching of the church. And if a church teaches that, the word of God is against them because God gave that as a blessing even to Adam and Eve before the fall into sin. God actually says it's a blessing and it glorifies him so long as it's done within his parameters, within the marriage bed. So sometimes there are things that happen in marriage that we think are a sin and they're not. Now, Another example that happened in in recent history is alcohol. There are many Christians who claim that any use of alcohol is a sin. Never mind that there's no real miracle if Jesus, like at the wedding feast, where he was blessed them by turning seven barrels of water into wine, and the steward says, normally most people leave the best for for the first and, and give the worst after people's taste buds are numbed. If Jesus turned that just into grape juice, what difference would it make, right? Now, don't get me wrong, it is a sin to drink alcohol to the point that you lose control of your senses. And some people, just by genetics in birth, they cannot control that. It always is like an accelerator pedal, even with a sip. And so in their case, to lose control of themselves would happen instantly. But... Christians were the ones behind the Prohibition era, and man, did that lead to a mess in America, didn't it? Brothers and sisters in Christ, once again, there are times in which, yes, with alcohol, there's times it's a sin, and there's times it's a blessing from God. So we want to be careful not to take what's a blessing and label it as sin, nor to take what is a sin and label it as a blessing. Now, ironically, since we got Christmas coming up and we're talking about the birth of the Savior, here's one I recently found out that I didn't know. Did you know those Puritans? You know, there were some of the early Christians here around 1600, for example, in the area of Boston. They actually outlawed the celebration of Christmas. You were supposed to work. Work brought glory to God. And Christmas, December 25th, is actually probably not the day that Jesus was born. We don't know the day. We do know Easter when he rose, but the reason why it came to be celebrated on December 25th is because the pagan Romans gave their slaves that day off to celebrate the solstice, and the Christians chose to worship the birth of their Savior instead. When we celebrate the birth of the Savior, we do that every time we hear our sins are forgiven, don't we? 
So we want to be careful in areas that God with our worship has given us complete freedom not to label something a sin that isn't a sin or to label something not a sin that is. So to whom does Jesus come? Like with Joseph who thought Mary had sinned against him. The word of God comes with enlightenment to those who do not understand about what is and isn't sin. Now the next thing we want to cover God says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It often happens, especially today, because our society has become so sexually driven that you have children born out of wedlock and a miserable father abandons the child. And later the woman marries another man. And we might think it's a curse for him to have to raise another man's child, might we? In fact, usually when that happens, the man still wants to have a child that has his own DNA. But did Joseph think this would be a curse? Well, originally he probably did. He might have originally thought, I'm not going to raise another man's child in this sin. First, God has to show him it's not a sin. But then God tells him a few things with that. Did you catch that? Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. It's going to be a blessing. It's God's blessing that Joseph still gets to marry Mary. She is, like Joseph, a devout believer. And that is one of the first things that makes for a fantastic spouse. Secondly, telling him you're going to name him Jesus. Joseph is being given one of the greatest blessings ever given in human history. He gets to be the father figure for Jesus. Even our Lord, while he's not using all the powers of his godhood, decides to limit that so that he has to be nursed, so that he has to have a diaper change, so that he has to learn how to be a man in society. Even our Lord thought it was best to have a father and a mother, and Joseph was given that blessing. And there at the end, Jesus means Savior, and we're told because he will save his people from their sins. What a blessing. Not only do you get a devout spouse in Mary, not only do you get the privilege of raising God's son, you get the privilege of knowing he's your Savior. To whom does Jesus come? He comes with enlightenment to those who don't understand enlightenment as to what is and isn't a blessing. And so let us always remember that because what the world considers a curse, the scripture says is actually a blessing. Again, lots of times preachers who want to give itching ears what they want to hear will tell you if you do the right things and you go to their ministry then God's going to give you all kinds of worldly possessions and all kinds of worldly wealth and all kinds of worldly health and you'll not have any crosses at all because we think crosses are a curse but it's just the opposite crosses are a blessing and sometimes they're even a discipline and I know when I was a child and my parents disciplined me it was so that I wouldn't continue doing that wrong behavior and that was a blessing it helped make me an upright man and a good Christian so to whom does Jesus come he comes in with enlightenment as to what is and isn't sin now the rest of the text continues with assurance for Joseph turning right again to the word of God all this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. This was prophesied 700 years before the birth of Christ. Look, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
God here comes to enlighten Joseph. What's going on is a miracle. Uh, But we Christians today, we can be confused as to what is and isn't a miracle. Oh, the Lord couldn't have possibly, who's all powerful, make the world in six days. And we know he could have done it if he wanted to make it all in one big, quick word. But he chose to do it over six days to set that seventh day example of taking a rest in him. We think we know better, don't we? And as a result, oftentimes we miss, even in this world, what is truly miraculous. A person comes to the baptismal font. We can get confused. People can't believe that God actually seals His Holy Spirit in their heart, so they take the miracle out of it, and then they make it a work-righteous thing in which they say, Look, Lord, I'm dedicating myself to You. And they miss the miracle. Oh, there's not a firework there, just the promise of the Word of God that His Holy Spirit is sealed in that person's heart and they're really going to have to starve themselves of the Word and really have to rush to embrace the sin and continue embracing it before they drive that Holy Spirit out of their heart. The Lord understands. He gives us His Word to hear and He sends others to share the Word and He gives us the privilege of sharing the Word. And we never get to think it takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit to make somebody believe that Word And he actually privileges us to be the ones who get to share that word, to even assure a brother or sister in Christ that yes, even that sin that's bothering them, Christ has washed it away. And in a very special way, God has given us a meal in which we actually get to taste forgiveness. Jesus doesn't say this becomes my body, this becomes my blood. Jesus doesn't say this represents my body, this represents my blood. He says it is. And the way it's recorded in the Greek, it's bread, but his body's somehow there. The only thing we can say, it's a miracle. But we often miss that, don't we? Because with work righteousness, it becomes a way of saying, Nah, Jesus just meant this is representative of it. And look, Lord, I'm remembering you instead of saying, This is a miracle that helps me remember and nourishes me that God has died and rose for me and my sins are forgiven. God reminded Joseph using the word of what is truly miraculous. And so he comes to us as well with enlightenment to what we don't understand, enlightenment about what is and isn't miraculous. But finally, again, what does he point to with all this prophecy that was given 700 years before? The Word of God. Combining the Word of God in miracles in one, it really saddens me today when I read modern theologians, pastors who think they know better than the Word of God, and they take a look at Isaiah's prophecy, and the Hebrew word he used is Alma, and they say, well, that can mean a young woman. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, teenage girls give birth to babies all the time. There's no miracle in that. The word Isaiah used, Alma, was first and foremost Remember, they got married at about age 14 to 18. If you, may, if you were unmarried at 18, you were kind of old in the scale. Life expectancy was shorter then. Alma primarily meant somebody who had not been married yet, and there it emphasized the marriage bed being kept pure in the Israelite society. A virgin giving birth is miraculous, but it's almost like God knew that in the year 2000, theologians would think they knew better than him. So when he had Matthew and Luke record this, They record it with the Greek word parthenos, which only means virgin. Doesn't mean also a young lady, which accompanies it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, see how God comes with enlightenment to show us how he fulfills his word. And his word tells you 
You are a sinner and you need to have your sins removed. And his word tells us, therefore, he took on human flesh in a miraculous way, according to the word, so that you can be confident that he is your substitute. Your sins are forgiven. And every time that sinful nature rises up and says, but it can't be, he sends us right back to the word, which enlightens it and says, it is so. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away not just the sins of the world, but your sins. And so we wrap up our season asking, to whom does Jesus come? And as he came to Joseph with enlightenment, we see he comes with us with enlightenment when we do not understand. Enlightenment about what is and isn't sin. Enlightenment about what is and isn't a blessing. Enlightenment about what is and isn't miraculous. And enlightenment about what fulfills the word of God. Amen. And now the brilliant light of Christ will continue to shine on our sin-enshrouded hearts and His light will continue to guide our feet on the path of peace. Amen.